Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast with April Elliott Kent and me, producer and co-host Jen Brown. Hey friends, Jen here. And of course, ringing in episode number six with me is astrologer April Elliott Kent. Happy Monday, April. Thank you, Jen. Back at you. Thank you. And this is a big week. It's New Year's week. We're ringing in 2020. Yeah. 2020. New Year's. Do you do New Year's resolutions? Sometimes I've made fun resolutions, like eat more crunchy things. (laughs) That's just a lifestyle for me. There's no resolution required. Sometimes I've made meaningful resolutions, like meditate. Hmm. And sometimes I do nothing, which I'm going to do this year. My resolution is not to make a resolution this year. Well, Capricorn is the resolutions sign. Mm -hmm. So I sort of like that at the beginning of the year, during Capricorn season, everybody gets into this thing of setting their resolutions for the year and deciding the big work that they want to accomplish in the year ahead. Yeah. And do you have any this year? No, I have not had time to even think about it because I'm just trying to deal with the Virgo day to day at the moment. Yeah. So the big picture is eluding me. But I'm coming up on my Saturn return, my second Saturn return Ooh. in, I want to say February. Yeah. I may have to schedule myself a little retreat and get away and really plot my strategy and think about it. That would be nice. So yeah, I do love getting a new planner every year. Oh, you and my wife both love a paper planner. I love it. I love it. I love cracking. (laughs) What do you love about it? I love cracking the cellophane off it. I like the empty pages and the limitless possibilities. And every year I try a new one because I have my tried and true one that really works for me. And every year I think, yeah, but I should try something else. This year, and I'm going to give an unsolicited plug for a company called the Honeycomb Collective. And what they do are personalized astrology planners. Hmm. So each day is calculated with the transits to your chart for that day. Well, that's kind of cool. It's fantastic. And mine hasn't arrived yet, but I'm super excited about Hmm. this. And you give them your birth data and everything, and they give you this beautiful personalized planner. So I think it's honeycomb, I don't know, .co or something. like. We'll put it in the show notes. And if honeycomb.com would like to sponsor the Big Sky Astrology (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Yep. Welcome new sponsors, Honeycomb Collective LLC. Um, (laughs) Yes. So, but I'm going to follow up and let everybody know about this because I'm irrationally exuberant about it. I'm super excited about it. So we'll see how this is. So yeah, sounds cool. me and Joni, we need to, you know, Someday when I move to Minneapolis, uh, Jody, I will, at the beginning of the year, we'll get out at the dining table and crack open our new planners and, and plot our strategies for world domination. Maybe your retreat should be in Minneapolis. Oh, aren't you A little clever. Minneapolis snowy retreat. Yeah, snowy. I don't know about that, Jen. Although it was warm here yesterday. It was in the mid-40s. That's pretty tropical. It is tropical for Minneapolis in late December. Because here it was about... I think it was like 55 here. Bone chilling, as I've said. Yes. So not a big discrepancy. I See, I could hang with that. Yeah. I could hang with that weather. Well, come on over. Yeah. I think that inevitably that day will come. For sure. I think so, too. We actually have a relatively quiet astrological week. So we're going to be talking about Mars, which is going into Sagittarius on January 3rd in the wee hours here in San Diego. Well, I was going to ask about what Mars means and signifies in terms of astrology. Well, Mars is how we get things done. It's our warrior planet. It is the ways in which we exert our will over our environment. 
because the sun is the will, but the Mars is the enforcer. It goes out and gets us what we want and a way in which we conquer new frontiers. Because uh-huh. if we can associate Mars just a little bit with Aries, there is that sense of a pioneering spirit. So Mars in your chart generally talks about how you like to initiate things, hmm. to get things started. And Mars going into Sagittarius, and it's been in Scorpio where it's been very strong. Yeah, It's going to go into Sagittarius where it's neither super strong or terribly weak. Mm -hmm. But always when you go from a fixed sign like Scorpio to what we call a mutable sign like Sagittarius, which is a little more flexible, a little more malleable, Mm -hmm. that means that our Mars functions will not be quite as focused and directed probably as they've been. More all over the place. Kind of all over the place and more adventuresome. Mm -hmm. Instead of getting slotted into one routine and saying, okay, this is my goal. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to get. That scorpionic intensity. Yeah. This instead is, I want to try something new. Uh. I've been sitting in one place, you know, focused on my computer screen for a month and a half. And now I want to get out and do some stuff and get into the outdoors. Because fixed signs like Scorpio can be just how they sound, fixed, which means (laughs) they don't want to move. They can be seen as kind of stubborn, right? That is one way to put it. That's uh, (laughs) Speaking as a fixed sign person myself, a Leo with many things in Leo, I could say, yes, I am a bit immovable from time to time. This is true. True also of our friend Scorpio, I think. And people forget that about Scorpio. Yeah. That Scorpio is dogged in purpose. And yeah. Sagittarius is quite different. Maybe that's why I like dogs so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm a cat person. It's a lot more mutable, so I don't know. <laughs> When I was first learning astrology, I didn't realize that each planet and each sign had what is seen as a sort of high vibration and what is seen as sort of a low vibration. Mm. And I think a lot of people, when they think of Mars, can think of more that lower vibration of aggressiveness and combativeness. Competition. Competition. But there's also a a side to Mars that can be a kinder, gentler Mars. (laughs) I don't know that kinder, gentler is ever what I would say about Mars, because that's not its function. But it does have a vital role to play. If we didn't have Mars, we wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. We wouldn't be able to go make a living. We wouldn't be able to compete with others for necessary resources. There is a legitimate role in the world for Mars. The problem with Mars is because it's not always honored in a civilized society. Right. It's because society is all about playing by the rules and constraining your natural urges towards aggression and competition. It's a natural human trait. It's how we evolved. It's how we survived and others didn't was the Mars function. Yeah. So we can't completely denigrate it, but it's the reason that Mars is said to be exalted or very strong in the sign of Capricorn, which is much more constrained. And it says, These Mars functions are vital, but they're best when they're directed towards a very specific goal or a specific cause, and when they work within the rules of society, all of which are represented by Capricorn. So I honor Mars. He's exalted in my chart. He's very high up in the high part of my chart. We're friends to a degree, (laughs) but he is that part of us that really can get carried away when we want something very badly. 
or when we feel threatened. It's the fight or flight syndrome. So it's good that we have Mars because if some bear is coming up on us in the forest, we better be able to notice that and run real fast. You have to take action if a bear is chasing you. You do. (laughs) And Mars is the guy. Mars is the guy that will help us with that and be protective. So I'm going to honor him and not try to civilize him overly much, but to know that We do live in a society and other people have rights too and other people have things that they're trying to accomplish and Mars has got to be restrained a little bit. Taking action in a positive way without going overboard. Yeah, without, well, without injuring others or injuring yourself, basically. Of course. That's the whole story with Mars because he can't get a little carried away. And in Sagittarius, there is a lovely kind of naivete Mm. about Mars. And it says, I'm going to just leap out there and do something. And you're very optimistic about it. And you're acting with trust and faith that this thing is going to work out, this great adventure that you embark on. And at the end of it all, by February 16th, when it moves on into Capricorn and starts to get serious, Mm -hmm. we'll have a little more of a sense of what we want to get serious about because Mars and Sag is a little more exploratory. Yeah. And we might open ourselves up to some new ideas and some new possibilities that we hadn't previously considered. And then by the time Mars goes into Capricorn, we can then buckle down, get to work, get serious and begin to build something with that very disciplined Mars. The way you were just describing Mars and Sag with trust and naivete and optimism sounds a lot like Jupiter to me. Yeah. Well, Jupiter is the ruler of Sagittarius, the ruling planet. And so they have, again, I will say experiential overlap. They don't mean exactly the same things, but they are akin to one another. It's a Jupiter flavor when Mars is in Sag. Yeah. It's a little more open-minded, open-hearted expansive in the sense of wanting to try new things in new places in new ways. Mm -hmm. It's an adventurer, really. If you think of somebody that goes off to an Edmund Hillary or something that decides to be the first Westerner to climb Everest, then you better have something Jupiterian or Sagittarian (laughs) that makes it seem like, yeah, that's a possibility. Somebody could actually do that. It's it's visionary. Mars is the ice cream sundae and Jupiter is (laughs) chocolate sauce. (laughs) Well, I guess so. We're keeping an eye on Mars basically for all this year because it's going to be retrograde. It's not retrograde every year, but It will be retrograde this fall. This fall. So does that inform how we could be acting now to take advantage of this time so that in the fall when we know he'll be retrograde, this might be a good time to take action? Did that make sense? Sure, I'll take it. I hadn't thought of it that way. I was just sort of generally thinking, oh, yeah, Mars is going to be retrograde later this year. But that makes a lot of sense. If somebody were coming to me and they're saying, I want to start a business this year, I might move them away from the fall a little bit for doing that because Mars is a very work-related planet and it's also how we go after what we want. So having that retrograde at a time that you're going to initiate something that takes a lot of drive and a certain amount of ambition would not be the greatest time when Mars is retrograde. So sure, the earlier part of the year is that unfettered, especially as Mars goes into Capricorn, which we'll talk about more when that comes in February. Mm -hmm. So that is Mars. And the other thing that's happening this week is a first quarter moon already. Again, we're back at that. And can you believe that we've been doing our podcast long (laughs) enough now that we've already described a first quarter moon in one of the earlier episodes? We have. Did we start on a first quarter moon? I'm trying to remember. We started with a new moon in Sag. That's right. We did. How clever of us. (laughs) 
We were visionaries. We are nothing if new not moon clever. And so that's right. Clever and visionary is what we were. Yeah. That's right, because we talked about the first quarter moon in Pisces. You did. Yeah. Well, what can you tell us about the first quarter moon in, oh, in Aries? In Aries. What can you tell us about that? Because the first quarter moon in Aries will have a different flavor than our last first quarter moon, which would have been in Pisces, as you said. Well, it absolutely does. So the energy of the first quarter moon is about taking action. Right. And we do associate that with Aries. So there's some compatibility there. The thing is, Aries hasn't usually thought things out to a huge degree. It's not really their job. They're more the new moon sign, just planting the seeds and seeing what happens. They just want to take some kind of action. Mm -hmm. So the first quarter moon being in Aries says, even if you don't know exactly what you're doing, take action, which is always a bit the energy of the first quarter, but very much so this time around. Because it's take some kind of action, do something, especially something new, which is Aries, and go after what you want at the first quarter moon. This is an interesting first quarter moon because it's got some squares to other planets. It's squaring Mercury and Jupiter and Saturn. And we know from previous episodes that squares indicate tension. Yeah, tension and challenges to be overcome. Uh So this Aries can be very frustrated because it wants to rush out and do something, but it's stymied to some degree by communication difficulties, which is the Mercury, or having bit off more than it can chew, which is Jupiter, or people around it that want to constrain it, which is Saturn. Yeah. Basically, when you put Aries in square aspects to things that are in Capricorn, Mm -hmm. it's very frustrating because it's like a little kid, Aries, and all of these planets in Capricorn are the older, sterner, stodgy. Yes, authority figure that are saying, (laughs) now, 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 tisk, tisk, tisk don't run with scissors and (laughs) other kinds of not fun things. There is, however, a sextile from the first quarter moon to Venus. Oh, which indicates what? Well, I think of the aspects between the planets as being connections with other people that you can call upon. So with sextile in particular with Venus says, okay, so you're a little bit frustrated and you can't necessarily do all the things you want to do. And you keep running up against challenges and blockages and difficulties. But the sextile Venus says, but at least you're not doing it alone. At least you've got friends with you. At least you've got fun things you can be doing. Mm -hmm. So that is the first quarter moon for you. Okay. And where will this first quarter moon be happening in your chart? Fifth house. Mm, Me too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for us, ideally, at the first quarter moon, if there had been some kind of creative thing we had in mind that we wanted to do, Mm -hmm. then this would be the moment to do it. Self-expression. Yes, to take action. Any action. Like I said before, whatever you do will be wrong, act at once. (laughs) So just plunge in there. And I do love that. Yeah. And do the thing, whatever Mm -hmm. the thing is. Do you have some creative project that you're sitting on, Jen? Well, there's this podcast I've been working on. (gasps) Oh, right. Right, 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 right. Me Maybe too. You've heard of it. Right. <laughs> what? Right. Because we're both tracking on the same lunar cycle. So this is perfect. Awesome. So that's the first quarter moon. Well, very good. And we, we knew that there wasn't a lot going on astrologically this week, but we thought we would set folks up for what's happening January 12th. Yes. It's the long-awaited conjunction of Saturn with Pluto and Capricorn. Saturn and Pluto coming together, it has a cycle of about, it's between 32 and 37 years that they'll come together in a conjunction. 
And the reason we can't nail it down more specifically than that is Pluto has a very erratic orbit. Yeah, it's more of an oval, isn't it? Yeah, than a circle. it's a little bit yeah. weird. So it spends a lot more time in some signs than in others, for instance. Yeah. Saturn and Pluto coming together every 32 to 37 years is a time when basically what we see in society and, you know, on the micro level in our own lives is a breaking down of foundations, of rules, and of conventions. Yeah. So what we see in society is a time of great tearing down of the establishment of the conventional wisdom of the established way of doing things. And we've talked about conjunctions before. We've talked about what they mean astronomically, but astrologically, it means that their energies kind of blend, right? Right. So you take two puppies. Great example. I'm, I already like this I know example. you do. This is why I chose it, Jen, <laughs> because you're dogged. So you get a couple <laughs> puppies and you put them in a carrier that's just a little too small. and What's going to ensue? How are they going to act? They're going to act mushed up. Well, they are, right? <laughs> well, I depending mean, on their serious. personalities. I mean, <laughs> some puppies might actually really enjoy that. They might like cuddling together. Mm. They might curl up together in a little ball and take a nap, yeah. which is very sweet. That's more like a Venus and the moon together in a carrier. Okay. And it, let's say one is Mars and one is Jupiter. Well, one's trying to bite the other one and the other one's just kind of doing the dog version of laughing it off mm -hmm. and maybe sitting on him because he's big, Jupiter. Yeah. But what kind of dogs are Saturn and Pluto? Well, Saturn's definitely a border collie. Is he? Because <laughs> he's <laughs> hurting people, hurting people a lot, sure. Border collies are the police officer of the dog park. <laughs> We used to have a border collie mix, so I know border okay. collies pretty well. All right. That sounds and really good. Yeah, you know, just, <laughs> hey, you shouldn't be doing that, and you shouldn't be doing that. And <laughs> They're bossy. <laughs> yeah. I like them. That sounds like my kind of border dog. Border collies are bossy. They are. Are they ever black? Do you get black border collies? Well, Some black markings. border collies by nature are mostly black, and they have those white markings. Mm. Maybe I'll post a photo of my old dog, Robin, if anybody would be interested I to would. see that I in the show notes. I want to see it. I love the puppies. So I say black because that's Saturn's color. Oh, right. They each have a color, like we talked about Mars being red once. Mm -hmm. Saturn's is black. Okay. Yeah. What is Pluto's? Pluto is either a really dark blood red or poison green. I usually hear associated oh, with Pluto. <laughs> now, I happen to love that poison color green that's all poison the way Poison green? Now. What is poison green? It's kind of I'm like I'm going to need more words. Well, sort of a take lime green and throw some acid on like it. the color of Mr. Ick? Mr. Ick? What's Mr. Ick? You don't know Mr. Ick? No! You've thrown me for a loop. The Poison Control Center had Mr. Ick as... <laughs> as its logo. I will post a link to this in the show notes if I can find it. And he, he was green. He was sort of a Kermit the Frog green, but slightly different. I love Kermit. So in any event, what kind of dog is Pluto? I want to say a Great Dane. Really? Mm -hmm. Why is that? It feels like Great Danes have the power to do anything, really. They're so big and they're kind of couch potato softies on the inside, but they mm. could also be very protective. Oh, right. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. So if we get Saturn and Pluto together in a little bitty carrier and it's a border collie puppy and it's a I mean, a Great Dane, I don't think, are ever small enough to put in a carrier, are they? As a puppy, they would be. As a puppy. So you put yeah. them in there together. One dog is going to wear down the other in that sort of scenario. Mm -hmm. And we would usually assume it's the slower moving 
planet, if we're using the planet analogy. So Pluto is usually going to get the last word over Saturn. Yeah. So Pluto is about wearing things down and tearing them down and burning them down. And then Saturn is more of a constructive, let's rebuild it, energy. Yeah. So we have to tear down the old structures before we can build new ones that suit us better, is my take on the Saturn-Pluto conjunction. Yeah. So we last had these, we had them in 1914 and 15 in like very early cancer, and that's when World War I broke out. Mm. Uh, we had it in 1947, as the beginning of the Cold War. We had it in 1982, which was the beginning of the digital age. And now we've got it in Capricorn, yeah. which has really been interesting to watch unfold. Because I think ever since Saturn went into Capricorn at the end of 2017, we've been seeing this starting to build mm -hmm. and seeing how old structures are being called into question and old conventions are no longer observed or respected. In a lot of cases. Yeah. So it's a destabilizing conjunction. That doesn't always have to be a bad thing. It can mean, yeah, you have to break some eggs to make an omelet. You have to tear things down to make room for something new. Right. It'll be interesting to see how this one plays out. It hadn't been looking good for the world in the last year, has it? Well, but I've also seen a lot of people trying to take positive, loving action mm. towards what they believe in. And I think that might be a way that people can focus that Mars energy is towards building something that's loving and kind. And I know that's not how one would describe Capricorn energy necessarily. But if we're going to build something, let's throw a little love in there. Yeah. And it is society and it's a paternalistic sign. So if we can frame it in terms of a good father is what we hope for, yeah. the sense of stewardship over society rather than being authoritarian and trying to stick everybody into little boxes and tell people exactly what to do and exactly what to think, which is the danger of Capricorn and that paternalism. Yeah. So let's let's hope for better things and see how this goes. Again, it's every, let's say, 35 years that we have this, and the world hasn't ended. Mm -hmm. So we'll pull through it. But it definitely has been an unsettling time. And I, I think the reason astrologers have been particularly nervous about this one is it's leading us toward the United States chart Pluto return, right. which I think is in 2023, if I'm remembering correctly. Might be sooner. We've never had one mm -hmm. because, you know, our country isn't old enough. Pluto has a approximately 245-year cycle to go through the zodiac. So this is the first time that our country has had a Pluto return. So we're a little uneasy about this. And April, what I'm seeing is actually 2022. That makes more sense. On February 21st, 2022, and then again on December 29th. So we're nervous, you know? Yeah. And it, it does put the next election into a pretty interesting context, the Saturn-Pluto conjunction and the Mars retrograde at the end of the year as well during mm -hmm. uh, election time. Again, I'm not a mundane astrologer, and mundane astrologers are the ones that study planetary patterns and how they exhibit themselves in world yeah. politics and all of that. That's not my bag, but I know enough about it to say, even though I couldn't remember what year it was, I know enough about it to say it is cause for, it's cause for concern because things have to change, but the process of things changing and building up again 
can have pretty difficult consequences. Well, in the Saturn-Pluto conjunction, just to be clear, happens for everyone, every person living on this Earth. Right. The Pluto return is just for the United States birth chart. Right. Countries also have birth charts, just like mm -hmm. people do. Right. And it's been interesting, even looking around the world at what's happening worldwide with mm -hmm. leadership or lack thereof. Mm -hmm. Yes, of course, we live in the United States, so we look to our country specifically and use those examples a lot. But... Worldwide, there's a lot been going on over the past 12 months. There has been, and, and there has been a hard turn throughout the world towards authoritarianism. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense with these symbols in this sign, because that will usually rise at a time when people are feeling insecure yeah. and sort of scared for their own survival. And they tend to gravitate towards leaders who seem very sure of themselves and really feel that they have the answers. Yeah. And to the extent that a leader has the best interests of the people at heart, that doesn't have to be a toxic thing. Mm -hmm. But if they don't, and if they're self-serving or motivated in a, as you said before, a lower level way by the symbolism, then yeah, it's not good. Interesting that it's also near the south node, which is in Capricorn, mm -hmm. which is about letting go towards that north node in Cancer, which is really about caring concern, love. Yeah, it's the maternal principle. Right. It's not that the paternal one is bad. It's just saying that the, uh, if we want to say the evolutionary imperative at this time, <laughs> astrologically speaking, if that's how we want to look at the nodal axis, is towards letting go at the Capricorn end. Mm -hmm. And if we're being asked to let go, it's always of the negative things. You don't want to let go of the good, healthy, productive parts of the sign. Right. But certainly letting go of the need to be right at all costs, letting go of the need to control what other people are doing, mm -hmm. uh, those kinds of things are worth reevaluating. Yeah. And yeah, the North Node in Cancer still and saying, let's focus on the ways in which we're connected and the way in which we're all family, yeah. if we want to think of it that way. And what's interesting is we've come kind of full circle since that Saturn-Pluto conjunction that happened in early cancer. In 1914. Yeah. yeah. And now we're in the opposite sign. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's kind of interesting. So yeah, that's the nodal axis and what we're moving toward in this year. Yeah. That seems like a really good way to sort of wind down the end of this episode, actually, is to look towards the cancer qualities that you just mentioned. Don't you think? Mm, yeah. The good thing to know about the nodes, as we talked about in our last episode extensively and at great Jupiterian length, was eclipses at the North Node, in particular, so we'll have one in the summer, are the ones that bring about change that move us forward yeah. towards the energy of the North Node. And the North Node in Cancer, I guess, yeah, the qualities of Cancer have to do with tribalism, but tribalism in a positive sense. So it's not the kind of tribalism that's based strictly on excluding other people that are not like us, but rather. For instance, if we're feeling overwhelmed by everything that's going on out in the world mm -hmm. and we decide that we just can't take all that in and there's we don't have the sense there's anything we can do about it. Well, what we can do something about are the people that are right in front of us that mean the most to us. That's the Cancerian energy that I'm talking about. The people that we have made a commitment to be there for, yeah. to share our lives with. So our families and our very closest friends, the people that rely on us, children, if we have children, our pets, anything that needs our care and our unconditional regard and acceptance and love. Like we, if you just picture your ideal 
vision of what a mother would be. If you could create your ideal mother from whole cloth, what would it look like? Yeah. And that's the energy of cancer. Well, and I love that idea that it's about inclusion, because that's certainly not what we're hearing on the news and whatnot. Well, no, and that's the battle. Yeah. That's the battle that's going on. It's a negative tribalism versus right. a positive one. Right. And the sense of, well, who is part of our tribe? And I propose that the North Node of Cancer is about, well, let's open that up. Mm -hmm. Let's love more people, not fewer. Let's bring more people. But, yeah, I'm a big old liberal. What can I tell you? I mean, of course, that's how I see things. In the big sky, there's room for everyone. That's absolutely my motto, you know, yeah. that there's room mm -hmm. for everyone. So, yeah, that's how I'm seeing this Cancerian stuff in the year ahead. But boy, there sure has been a lot of planetary weight on the opposite end sure has. towards Capricorn. And it's only building with Jupiter now there and, and Mars, as I said, will enter Capricorn too in February. Mm -hmm. So we have to work overtime to embrace these Cancerian visions and virtues. We need to bake a lot of bread and eat a cookie. <laughs> That's what cancer requires of us. I can really get into idea. I can get into my Venus in Cancer very much when I think about, you know, cancer and how I love baking my sourdough bread and yeah. you know, feeding people and making pasta and all of that. Mm -hmm. It's very Cancerian. I'm all for that. Well, my dear, what do you think? Have we done it? We did it. Let's wrap it up. We're going to wrap it up. Yeah. Well, we thank all of you for listening. As always, we encourage you to take the world by storm in 2020 and dream big for yourself with this Mars and Sagittarius. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single thrilling and scintillating episode. We will see you again next week. And until then, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. Thank you for listening. To learn more about April Elliott Kent, please check out her website, BigSkyAstrology.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter, read her thought-provoking weekly essays, purchase her books, sign up for a personal astrology reading, and more. That's all for today. If you like what you're listening to, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast and hit subscribe to stay current with new episodes. You can follow Big Sky Astrology on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Big Sky Astrology. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. Oh,